Welcome to another Truth Factor discussion. This week we will be in Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. Um, here with the Truth Factor discussion, it is our goal to factor the truth of God's Word into both our lives as well as your life. And we would hope that if you have the time today that you'll jump into the conversation with us, join our discussion. And um, you can do that a couple of different ways. You'll see on the ticker there at the bottom of the screen. If you're watching us live on Facebook, then feel free to drop a comment there in the comment section regarding of the video. If you're watching us on YouTube, and both of these are Truth Factor Live at both locations, use the chat area of our YouTube stream. Or you can even send us a text message. We now have things established for that. And you can text us at 405-726-0874 or send me a question at questions at truthfactorlive.com. Alrighty, we, uh, let's see. Most of us are here this morning. Paul is not able to be with us today. And so that being said, I'll turn it over to Mike, who will now be leading today's discussion through Romans chapter 14. There you go, Mike. Thank you very much, John. And I'm, I'm very pleased to lead this chapter, to be quite honest with you. Of late, Romans 14 has become a very controversial chapter, and it ought not be. Opinions exist. Uh, they, uh, opinions certainly are not the same as the validity of God's Word, the doctrine of Christ. But Paul is dealing with the fact that you've got cultures, environments, uh, long-standing understandings of both Jew and Greek that conflict from time to time, and he's dealing with that in this chapter. But before we get into it, I thought it might be nice, and, and hopefully you gentlemen have your outline there, to give at least three passages that prove that God's Word is already settled. We can't offer opinion. We can't change anything of the established doctrine of Christ. Uh, just jump in on it. But uh, Psalms 119 and verse 89 tells us what? Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. And Revelation 22, 18 and 19. We find that I testify unto every man that hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. If any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Tom, you're muted, and we're going to need you here in a minute. Um, John 12 and verse 48 tells us what? Okay. It says there that uh, he that rejects me and receives not my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken, the same will judge him in the last day. So without going into a multiplicity of other passages, I have to agree that no one can change what God has established as his word, or as we've been saying through this study, the doctrine of Christ. But nevertheless, Christians are at liberty to make various choices. Uh, and sometimes these choices have absolutely nothing to do with established doctrine of Christ. Uh, I knew of a congregation one time that literally divided because of the decisions made on how to, on what color to use to paint the interior of the building. I've known people to get upset about the thermostat and its setting, the carpeting, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Opinions are welcome, but they never need to divide us. And that's what this chapter is talking about. People are going to differ with opinions. So with that, while they arise from time to time, let's understand before we even enter the chapter that God's word, like God himself, is without respect of persons. And we must adhere to that, or this chapter will be meaningless to us, and the rest of God's Word would be meaningless to us. God yeah. cannot be altered. Tom, go ahead. Yeah, you know, and just one quick observation as we start here. Uh, uh, we, we want it understood, that, and I totally agree with you, I completely agree with you. Uh, this, this text is abused by so many, but understand that when we say that this is dealing with matters of, of opinions and so on, uh, we do realize that those opinions are important to the people that hold them. 
Oh, and, yeah. yeah and, and, and that's an understanding to just kind of keep in mind at the very beginning of this. This has nothing to do with questioning the sincerity of what somebody believes about these particular matters. It's just a question of what can we use Romans 14 for and what can we not use it for? Exactly, Thomas. And, and this chapter tells us that you don't discard the opinion. You may end up changing your mind and agreeing with it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, that's, at, that's and at the very least, tolerate. Yeah, and yeah, at absolutely. the very least, you know, tolerate the one that is different than, than you. And, and I think we could all learn from that. Oh, yes. This is a marvelous chapter for that. Brian, if I may, I'm going to call on you to please read the first 11 verses of this good chapter. I will do so. Uh, Romans chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. In the New King, um, New King James Version, Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eat despise him who does not eat. And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. He who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. For why do you judge another, your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we should all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. Thank you very much, Brian. I'm going to ask you too to put the, the uh, chat question up here and let people do a little do a little digging on this one. I guess the chat question for this section would be: What constitutes a quote weak brother? How would he be distinguished from a strong brother? And that becomes very critical in our in our understanding here, so that we. Uh, understand, again, in this chapter, we're not talking about doctrinal matters. We're talking about cultural upbringings, about environmental uh, convincings of various and sundry sort, and, and, and of long-held convictions because of Jews or Gentiles. So let's let's jump into the discussion, and, and I'm not going to assign these questions to anybody. Uh, first come, first serve, but let's let's be patient with each other as we answer. Number one, there's an obvious difference between weak and strong in this chapter among brethren. They, uh, yet, they are to receive each other with one exception. What is that exception, and can you define it? Brian, you're looking studious. I guess I will call on you. <laughs> well, Mike, it's, it's a real interesting question, and I think part of the thing, uh, the answer, of course, is the word to doubtful things in verse 1. Now, the, the, actually, that's, that's a little more complicated than it sounds at first, because what does it mean to be doubtful? It doesn't actually mean the idea of just something I'm not sure about, and it, and it could, but I actually think that our answer is over in our parallel text of 1 Corinthians chapter 8, where the very first thing Paul talks about there is the idea that we all have knowledge. Now, knowledge in the case of 1 Corinthians chapter 8 is the knowledge that comes from the Word of God. I'd contrast that statement of doubtful things with Paul's statement in 1 Corinthians 8 to say that we're to uh, accept weakness of faith as long as it's not about matters that are that are from the Word of God, that we can have a knowledge of. Um, and I've always felt, and you said very well to introduce us, that Romans 14 is often mis, uh, mishandled, and the very reason it's mishandled is people are applying it to matters that can be known from the Word of God. In other words, somebody says, I don't think you have to be baptized to be saved. Somebody else says, I do. We're not supposed to say, well, you know, we each have our view on that. What we're supposed to do is say, you know, there's an answer in the word of God that we can arrive at. And that would be not accepting a, a, a weak brother on a doubtful matter, a matter that 
uh, that they're doubting the very word of God because we can have knowledge. We, we can find the answer to that question. So really, he's, he's trying to make it clear that we're really only receiving weakness when it comes to matters that can't be made clear by the scriptures, that there is a, a, a lack of a, a specificity. Oftentimes, we refer to a generic authority or, a, you know, the, the matters of, of convenience of, of conviction. And that those are the things that he speaks of. You're absolutely right, Brian. And I thank you for that. So, Thomas, we're going to throw this next one to you. And I got your note here. You're exactly right. The New American Standard and the ESV both use opinions in uh, in place of doubtful disputations. But uh, in, in first, the, the first listed in these doubtful disputations or doubtful things concerns food. Now, anybody can look at me and realize I don't have any dispute over food at all. If it's edible, it's gone. <laughs> but not the point of this verse. What would have caused the difference between meat eaters and, for lack of a better word, vegetarians? Or does Paul mean the difference between one who eats any type of meat and one who's been accustomed to eating only clean meats? Talk to us about that. I, in my personal opinion, uh, you know, as I look at it, I, I believe that this is the latter. Uh, I, I mean, I, I think the primary emphasis is the latter, and, and, and it actually goes two different ways. Dealing with the Jews, obviously, if you've studied Leviticus, if you've studied the law of Moses at all, uh, you know that there were lots of meats that they could not eat. Uh, you know, so there, there were unclean animals and so on, and and uh, Jews were the first to obey the gospel, and more than likely they maintained their dietary uh, habits and so on. And Paul is saying, "Go for it," you know, I have no no problem. And by the way, I think God knew what He was doing when He gave those restrictions in most instances. Absolutely. Uh, but also consider that the Gentiles. Uh, you go over to the book of 1 Corinthians, and without going into detail, they also had a challenge when it came to what they ate as far as meats were concerned. You've got mm -hmm. meats that were offered to idols versus those that were not. And the same thing applies. Uh, uh, a Jew would come along and say, that idol's nothing. I can eat this meat. And, and a Gentile said, you know what? Uh, it, it has a little more significance to me considering my past. And mm -hmm. so, so both Jews and Gentiles, uh, I, either way, I, I think it's primarily, it's primarily uh, selective meats. But, but having said that, understand that if you're in a circumstance where an unclean or a meat that you're doubtful about is offered, just eat the vegetables on the plate. That's a good point. That's a very good point. And I do want to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and we're going to do that momentarily here, but I, I kind of want to save that for yeah. an emphasis point here. But nonetheless, if, if the students that are with us want to go to 1 Corinthians 8 and read those 13 verses, you're going to find it parallels Romans 14 to a T. Now, uh, I, don't, I don't know where John went off to hide, but I'd kind of like to get him involved here. Since God received both the weak and the strong brother, the meat eater and the vegetarian meant uh, by strong and weak, were forbidden to judge another man's servant as standing or falling. That's verse 3. The indication, though, from verse 4 is that both belong to whom? Both are whose servants? And why would this prohibit us from judging in matters of opinion? I'm sorry, say that again? No, I'm kidding. I got it. I got it. <laughs> You're picking on me again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's see. Let me see if I can. I get here what what you're looking for there with that. All right. So it, it is a very good point um, that you make here in regards to the fact. Uh, let me bring this back up on the screen here real quick. That he makes a statement there that um, let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. Uh, who are you to judge another servant to his own mastery stands or fall into deed? We will be made to stand for God is able to make him stand. So the idea here within the context is, of course, as you as you well have been talking about, we are accountable to one individual for all intents and purposes, and that is God. Okay, so whether, and, and we think about as Christians, we are servants of God, just as we are children of God. And so 
when everything is said and done, we stand before the throne of God and not before the throne of man, not before the throne of one another. Now, where this becomes very important, it, it is not in the realm of clear-cut what does the Bible say, what does the Bible does not say, you know, like, like the discussion of baptism and so forth. It comes into play where God has not so designated um, a particular thing on a matter. And so as a result, if I believe that something is wrong, then I must not do that, and God is going to be my judge. And if I believe something to be right, that God is not you know, spoken either way on, then God, of course, is ultimately my judge. And so that's the point here. They're busy judging one another, and, and Paul is saying, look, God is your judge on this matter, so don't judge the other brother. Let him be as he is. God will be the one that will judge him for that. Um, it'd be like if you had a servant, you know, kind of turning it this way. If you had a servant, would you want another master coming and judging your servant? Well, no. Your servant belongs only to you. So that might be the way of looking at it here. I appreciate that, uh, John, and you're exactly right. Uh, we, we need to understand that we, we are answerable to God, not each other in that respect. And yet people turn to Ephesians 5, rightly so, and they say that we're to be subject one to another. Well, to be subject one to another does not mean that I have to bow down to what you think is right, if it's only opinion. If you can show me book, chapter, and verse, then we both have to agree. But if it's just a subject of opinion as to whether or not you're going to eat a hamburger out of a beef or a pork loin out of a hog, if that's what we're arguing about, we need to sit down and just discuss it a little bit and say, hey, enjoy your meal. Yeah. That's what the point is here. We're both subject to God. Yeah, I really think that Ephesians 5 text would be an abuse of that text to try to say, you've got to do this my way because the Bible tells you to be subject unto me. Yeah, and that's what yeah. I'm meaning, that, uh, oh. that, that we You're can't right. bow down right. to each other's opinion. We have to respect it. Thomas, yeah. you had a comment here. Yeah, and uh, again, this is one that could be a can of worms, if you will, especially in light of Romans 14, but I want to open it anyways. Uh, and, and, and that is to realize that when we're dealing with these types of things, God knows the heart of an individual. And, and, like, and I realize that that's a dangerous thing to say, because how many say, well, God knows my heart? And, and, there, and, and a lot of times they're saying that, so that gives me the right to break God's laws. And, and that's not the point that I'm making. But the point mm -hmm. is, is God knows, you know, you know, God knows how the Gentile was raised. God knows how the Jew was raised and the struggle that that Jew might have with eating bacon or, mm -hmm. or, or, or the Gentile, you know, uh, with, with that meat offered to idol. God knows that. And that's why we have to keep that in mind when we uh, when we're dealing with these types of matters and as we deal with others. And, and the other thing I want us to notice as we go through this entire chapter, that Paul has something to say for both sides. Both sides of an issue have a responsibility in this as in the way that they view the other person. Well, and I, I agree with that, Thomas. And actually, uh, let's just put the next two questions together because they do go together. And Brian, I'll let you respond to it. The next subject that Paul brings in are the differences of days, what days are considered here, uh, or why days, yeah, what days are considered here, why would anyone dispute a day? But Paul goes on a little deeper, and he considers this part of his comparison by saying, unto the Lord he does or does not eat, he does or does not observe days, but instead, in both cases, give thanks. Why is that stressed, and what's the importance of giving God thanks? That, that's going to sum this matter to us. So, so obviously, he was talking about Christmas. No, I'm not <laughs> uh, so uh, I would suggest most likely he's talking about both the Passover, the feast days of the Jews— uh, where the Jews esteemed certain days of the feasts, uh, which had been nailed to the cross, they still observed them. We see Paul racing back to Jerusalem to get back by the time of Pentecost. Um, Passover is mentioned several times in the New Testament after uh, 
the church has been established as something that was still uh, an important day to the Jews. And frankly, it really would fit into the idea of a very, what, what ceased to be a holiday of God and what became a, a celebration by men. And many men esteemed that day to the Lord. And, and so it's very likely that he's talking about that or potentially the Sabbath as well uh, that would fit into a day that somebody might esteem above others. So it, first and foremost, it probably speaks of those days that had been sacred to the Jews and now were merely traditions. And and they were acceptable because many people still honored God uh, by esteeming those days in their own manner. In other words, somebody, uh, you know, it's like, and I would say maybe a better holiday for us to consider would be like Thanksgiving. Uh, when we celebrate Thanksgiving, oftentimes what we're saying is we're giving thanks to God when, and we're esteeming a particular day in doing so. And the language Paul is saying is saying that somebody who esteems those things uh, towards God, who gives thanks or whatever it is, that they are, there's an acceptability to God. And at the same time, the, the person who says, I'm not going to do that, I do not do that, that that person is also acceptable to God. And that the the greater point is he's moving on to say is that, you know, these are things that men are directing to God, not to one another. And we have to be very careful that we're not directing them to one another, that the person who esteems Again, let me use Thanksgiving as the example. The person who says, hey, on this day, I give thanks to God. Do you not want to give thanks to God? He's not permitted to say that. Uh, or conversely, the person who says, hey, God doesn't command us to do this, so you're in error to, to do this. He's not permitted to say that. That, that each person is, is judged, as it was mentioned earlier, God knows the heart. That was actually a really important point here. Men don't know the heart. God does, and he, and he makes this judgment. It doesn't mean we're going to escape judgment. That's actually a really important point to consider. We That's are right. going to be judged for, for the behavior that we've done and the, the way we approach it in our heart. But we're not going to be judged on these things by one another because we don't know each other's hearts. And so That's Paul's trying to make that clear uh, towards our use of liberty. And, and we don't really haven't gotten to liberty yet, but it's going to be an important part of the conversation in a moment, uh, the meaning of these things. But, but by and large, I, I would put that as the answer here. Uh, that what it means and what he says that we're uh, we're approaching God either way with with the attitude of giving thanks to God. You said it extremely well, extremely well. Every time I think of this passage, I think of what I worked with with eighth graders in American history several years ago. I asked them, "Does England have a Fourth of July?" And nearly all of them said no. Well, it comes to our mind we celebrate that. England would rather not, but we. Do we show love? Do we give God thanks? Do we care? Certainly we do. Thomas, you had a thought with this. Yeah, just real quickly. Uh, gratitude is an attitude that solves a lot of problems with our dealings with one another. Just keep that in mind. If you're thankful, if everybody in a situation is thankful and you come to the table with that attitude at the beginning, you've got a disposition that's going to, that's going to more than likely help you work through your differences. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's, let's uh, come on down here. And, and again, I'm going to combine the, the questions and throw it at John at verse eight, Paul shows that regardless of living or dying, we are the Lord's. I need to know why that statement is important in the discussion of strong versus weak, if indeed it does. And regardless of strong or weak, we're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So, John, I need you to discuss the value of verse 11 and the prophecy of Isaiah 45, verse 23. The value of verse 11. Okay. Chapter 11. Yeah. Oh, in Romans 14, yes, verse 11. Yeah. Okay. All righty. Well, let's see what we got here on that, Mike. And I was listening very carefully to what you were saying, so hopefully I can get this right. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> what we notice here, and as, as, as what you were asking here within the question there, in regards to the, you know, the individual who is strong versus the individual who is weak, um, when everything is said and done, Let's see, why is the statement important in the discussion of the strong versus weak there in verse 8? All right, there we go. So notice here in verse 8, he makes a statement, therefore, if we live, let's bring this back up here on the screen here real quick. 
So for if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. This in part goes back to the very thing that we were talking about as, as us being judged by the Lord. So as individually, you know, I've, I've, I often like to say that when we cross the threshold of death and stand before the throne of God, we stand alone before the throne of God. But we work with one another to get to that point. But ultimately, all right, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. We belong to him. All right, so that he explains why this is the case there in verse 9. So he then asks the question, but why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Coming back to that point. And here's the use of verse 11 in the quote from Isaiah 45, 23. As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to me. So with that being the case, in the question that you've asked here, um, why is this statement important in the discussion? It's because that we, we, we make the judgment call of strong or weak ourselves, okay? We, we really do. This is completely up, up to us and our discernment. The Lord truly knows the hearts of the individual. And you can have an individual who has a lot of biblical knowledge and is very strong in that standpoint, but in his love for God may be weak, okay? Mm -hmm. And you may have someone who may have not a whole lot of knowledge, but in their faith and love for God, they may be very, very strong. So we have to ask ourselves, and this is part of the whole discussion here, we'd have to determine and understand the idea of weak and strong. But the point is, everybody will stand before the judgment seat of God. And that must be kept in mind when we are standing here judging others for doing things or seeing things differently than the way that we see it in matters not so determined by the scriptures. You are exactly right. And that'll bring us back to the chat room question, Brian. Do we have any responses? We do, in fact. Uh, we have uh, Gregor Hinckley gave us an answer there in uh, YouTube. I uh, don't think I have anything in Facebook. But in YouTube, Gregor gave us the following answer. The weak, um, we're ready to go, I'm sorry. The weak are new to the faith, uneducated in the word of God, strong, knowing God's word and trusting in it. If meat represents idol worship, they may not want to eat until they grow in faith. That's true. I appreciate that, Gregor, very much. Well, let's move on. And Thomas, I'm going to throw this to you since Paul's not in our group uh, today for personal reasons. Would you please read for us verses 12 through uh, 18? Okay, no problem. Uh, we read there, so then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. I know and am convinced by the Lord that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Thank you very much. We're going to pose the chat room question now, which is, uh, it's going to make you study a little bit, but then this isn't just for our exercise, it's for those that are viewing. What is the correlation between Romans 14, verses 12 through 18, and 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 7? It ought to be an obvious answer, but we're going to make you dig a little bit with it. So, Thomas, since you were there, we're going to come right back to you. With each of us giving account of, of ourselves to God, our resolution and preparation for this judgment must be what, according to this, uh, must be what, according to verse 13? And how do we accomplish it? In other words, what is our preparation duty? Well, uh, well what I see is... Um, we need to make up our minds, which is the idea of resolve, that, that we're going to do what we can to help our brother get to heaven. I, 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 I think it's just that simple. We need to put that ahead of our own personal desires and our own personal opinions. Uh, uh, 
about, about whatever, whether we think something is right or wrong, we need to always ask, how is my brother going to be affected by this? And that's really the bottom line. It's just like Paul over in 1 Corinthians talking about how he became all things to all men. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to do whatever I have to do to win as many as I can. The word that, that strikes me here, Thomas, is the word stumbling block. Yes. We're, we're not put that in front of everybody, of anybody. But yet, Paul uses that term stumbling block. He said that the Jews found Christ to be a stumbling block. And it's interesting that he uses it in this chapter as well. There was no stumbling block to the Jew. There was nothing uh, of offense to the Gentile either. And we can't use that. What we're preaching is Christ Jesus, who is really the way, the truth, the life. There is no stumbling about it. And the Gentiles accepted him in many ways much quicker than the Jews. And so I believe what Paul's saying here, and, and you said it accurately, let's don't be a respecter of persons. Let's just teach the gospel and get on with life. Let's, let's do that. So, Brian, let's come back to you here. The eating of these various meats seems to be the bulk of the discussion. That's, that's what he's comparing it with. And so that's why I wanted to go to 1 Corinthians 8, verses um, 8 through uh, 13. And I, I made a very bad typo on our notes here, but Thomas found it in Hopefully we've corrected it. But at any rate, would you mind to take the latter half of 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and show how it blends with these particular verses? Thanks, thanks, Mike. I had to sneeze there off camera. Um, But uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, the Apostle Paul there is talking about the idea of eating things that were sacrificed to animals, uh, or um, sacrificed to idols, sorry. And and what I think is really interesting, I think uh, one of you mentioned this before, that that this is such an interesting issue because there's two eating meat issues that that apply here. One is one of you, as your point was made, to the Jew, they couldn't eat. They had all their lives spent not eating things that were clean or unclean, and uh, now that the law of Christ has come, there's no longer anything is clean or unclean of itself, and that's what Paul's declaration here in Romans 14 is. But on the other hand, to the Gentile, there's the issue of eating meat sacrificed to idols. And all their lives, they have held that the eating of meat sacrificed to idols in some way was connected to that idolatry. Well, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 is going to say there's there's no such thing as an idol in regards to reality. That an idol is just a stone, it's just a tree, and there's no, you know, there's nothing of substance to that. So whether you eat it or not, again, in that case, he's trying to say that really is an irrelevant point as well. So uh, the, the relationship here is he's trying in both instances to make a comparison to being careful. And, and, and Mike, if I can, I want to kind of go back and say what's so important about the things that you had said a moment ago is that really where he's trying to go with this conversation is he's saying you have to live a life conscious that the decisions you make, whatever they are, have impacts on other people, and that you'll be judged for that. That, that um, That's one of the things that is so interesting about being a disciple of Christ that, that can be so difficult. We're not just living for ourselves anymore. We're now living for those around us. Now, now the second thing I just wanted to add to that was that, and, and you said it well, and I just wanted to say it one more time, if that's okay, that there is a stumbling block that we are putting in front of people, and that is Christ. Jesus yes. said you're, you know, people are going to be offended by me, by what you say. And, and I, and I, and I only say that to say, I remember years ago, I talked to somebody about drinking and they had, uh, they were, you know, engaged in drinking and alcohol. And, and I had said, you know, and I gave them some Bible verses to think about. And they came back and said, well, Romans 14 says, you're not to judge me. They, in fact, they, that was, uh, I suspect their lack of Bible verses, they had had to go look that up to find it. But they came back to me and said, well, you know, Romans 14 says you shouldn't judge me. Romans 14 says I shouldn't judge in regards to things that are not a part of the law of Christ. But when it comes to the law of Christ, I'll put it out there and it may cause people to stumble over him, just as, as you pointed out, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 points out that people stumbled over Christ, that he was an offense. And Jesus predicted that that he, and by he, he means his law and his doctrine is going to be offensive. People are going to stumble with that. And that's not what we're talking about here. So uh, I thought that was a great point you guys made. I just wanted to build on that and just make it clear that that it is important to understand that 
people will be offended and will stumble over the law of Christ and we'll put it out there for them to stumble over. And, and we're supposed to do that. This isn't talking about that. Uh, so uh, I'm sorry to kind of go a little off topic from the question you asked me, but I appreciate you letting me have that. I, I appreciate you saying it, John. You said it extremely well, and I, and I do. I appreciate that. Let's take time, though, to read 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and I'm going to begin at verse 8 of that chapter and show, hopefully, what, what I was asking in the question here, though, though Brian's answered it. I want Paul the Apostle to kind of bolster Brian's statement here. But food does not commend us to God, for, if we, for neither if we eat are we the better, nor if we eat not are we the worse. But beware, lest, someone, uh, lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. If anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in the idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? And because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother to stumble, I'll never again eat meat, lest I make my brother to stumble. And Brian, that's precisely what you were getting at. Our actions teach sometimes much louder than our words. And we, we've got to be extremely careful. It's not wrong for us to engage those things, but we need to be careful when and where so that the weak brother, the one without the knowledge of Christ, can be emboldened in knowledge, not in offense. Thomas, you had a thought here. Uh, well, uh, not a specific thought. Uh, uh, I, I, I just look at this whole chapter and just something that just keeps coming to my mind and everything that we're talking about here is Paul expects everybody involved to understand the proper attitude. And I'm going to tell you right now that Romans 14 will not work if everybody doesn't have that type of an attitude in all, yeah. in all, in all of these things. It's a chapter really of brotherly love. John, go ahead your thought in there. That's a great thought. Well, I was just wondering, get rid of that there, just wondering if maybe in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he talks about, um, you know, the church has many different members. And so if one member looks at another and says, you know, because, because you are not the hand, you're not a part of the body. Or uh, maybe someone looks down upon themselves because I'm not the head, I'm not a part of the body. I wonder if that type of treatment towards others is kind of the idea of the judging process talked about in Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians 8. You know, someone views things differently than we do. We look then down upon them and, and hold them in lower regards, kind of like 1 Corinthians chapter 12 in that case of point. It, just, it was a side thought that I had as our discussion was going on and thought I'd share it in a private chat there. Brian, you also have, a, have an interesting point. I hadn't thought of it, but go ahead and share it. Well, I, I was just thinking about what John was saying in chat, and it occurs to me, you know, there's. it seems very likely that the church in Rome, they didn't have any spiritual gifts. Um, for example, when in 1 Corinthians, in chapter 12, he contrasts the purposes of the members of the church with spiritual gifts doing different purposes. Romans 12, which is a parallel text, actually mentions the gifts and abilities of the members of the church, and they're non miraculous gifts uh, like financial or abilities or things like that. Uh, Paul in Romans chapter 1 and verse 11 makes the statement that he desires to go to Rome so that he can impart to them these spiritual yeah. gifts. So um, it's kind of interesting. I was thinking about what John had said and it occurs to me that in Rome it seems pretty likely that they probably didn't have spiritual gifts at that time. Uh, mm -hmm. that they, you know, that, but in 1 Corinthians 12, as John says, it seems like that is the issue that they're holding over each other or, or may have been. And that, that drives a lot of the conversation from chapter 12 through chapter 14 is, is the way they're manifesting those gifts and how they're behaving towards each other with them. Well, I believe it would be fair to say that one of the problems that both Corinth and Rome had is a problem that's still common today and is called jealousy. They, they just simply could not humble themselves in a way to say, I want to help my brother. And that's what Paul's getting at here. If we don't help one another get to heaven, I'm kind of wondering whether or not we're going to get there ourselves. So 
let's let's come to the to the close of this section and john i'll throw this one to you the point is we're not to let our good be evil spoken of and from the context what is our good relationship in strengthening this weak brother and you can go ahead and incorporate verses 17 and 18 in that answer if you would all right let's see what is good in relationship what is our good in relationship to strengthening the weak brother? Okay. All right. So with, with that question there, and you notice here what is brought up. There we go. Um, so let's see. Come on down to verse 14 and 15 there. Now notice what he says there in verse 16. Therefore, do not let your goods be spoken of as evil. So I'm going to be serving God. And I'm going to take a firm position on something and I'm going to hold my brother accountable in such a way that it ends up hurting my brother. Um, it's not a matter of doctrine. It's not a matter of thus saith the Lord. It's a matter of judgment. And so, but I'm out of, out of my, my earnest desire, I'm trying to serve God. And how come you're not doing the same thing? And so I'm going to hold to this in such a way that ends up hurting my brother spiritually. You know, hence the term, do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. I may say that I have sincere motives, but ultimately, if I push through this point in such a way that causes my brother to sin against his own conscience, then he has sinned against God and I have sinned against him. Um, and, and when everything is said and done, the good that I have done is now being spoken evil of uh, because of the end results that it brought about. Um, for he who serves Christ in these things is accountable to God and approved by men, uh, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy spirit. That's ultimately what we're striving to be is right with God, but having our brethren to be right with God as well. And if we do anything that cause them to be wrong with God, no matter how right we may have been in our own mind, it still is not going to end well. That's kind of what he's talking about there. That's very true. That's very true. In fact, it'll sum it up if someone has correctly answered our chat room question. Brian, has anybody answered that? We do have an answer. We have a, in our YouTube chat, Gregor Hinckley's given us an answer. And uh, let me, uh, we'll pull that up. Gregor's answer to the question is the cause of our patience with the weak brother is love, agape. Mm -hmm. Unconditional. It's not about what I can do, but what my brother can comprehend. We teach from there to help their faith. I appreciate that, Gregor. I really do. And, and I had the thought, all of this is a teaching process. And having been a teacher uh, in school, and I've, I've taught gospel for longer, well, I almost said longer than I've been alive. That's not true. I've been at it for over 50 <laughs> years to teach people. But the point is, teachers have to learn as well. Teachers in school have to go to, back to school and get continuing education courses to be certified. Students of the Bible need to do the same thing. We need every day to reassess where we are in knowledge. Even the weak brother has to reassess where he is. And none of this is a matter of saying, well, you're going to stay weak and I'm going to get stronger. It's a matter of every one of us increasing our faith daily, growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Brian, I'm going to go back to you and ask you, if you would, to begin at verse 19, and let's finish the chapter, and we can bring this discussion to a close in a little bit. Absolutely. Uh, Romans 14, verse 19, in the New King James Version Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. It is neither good to eat meat nor drink wine, nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith for whatever is not from faith is sin. Thank you for that, Brian. And the chat room question is probably one of the most simplistic we've ever offered. What are the things that make for peace and edification? 
And any, any faithful one ought to know that, and from weak to strong, the answer to that question is the very heart of what a Christian must be and grow in these things as well. So, Brian, we're going to go to you first again. Briefly give us a summation of verses 20 and 21, and also, does Matthew 7, 12 fit into the explanation? Well, let me just take a second, uh, the Matthew 7, 12, and look that one up. Uh, but as far as it goes with the summation of those passages, uh, let me read Matthew 7, 12. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also for, to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So um, in our text here, uh, what we're coming along to is the concept uh, that that God's work has been done within all of us, that uh, we are God's workmanship. We've First uh, Corinthians chapter three would tell us, and the concept here is that I might be destroying God's workmanship simply because I want to eat what I want to eat, or I don't feel good eating what I you know don't want to eat, and I'm now causing somebody else. Uh, and we read out of First Corinthians chapter eight how he described the idea that somebody might stumble because they violate their conscience. They do something they that they think is wrong. God can hold them accountable for that, and that actually is what the point of verse twenty three is going to come down to as well in that conversation too. So the point is that you might eat with offense um, or violate your conscience. Again, 1 Corinthians 8, 9 through 12 makes that point too. So um, Mike, I don't know if that answers the question uh, to well, summarize what, those things. What I was thinking of, it put yourself in the other fellow's shoes. And if it's going to help him, then you can do it. If it's not going to help him, then you've got to consider that. And we've talked about that all the way through. So that whatever you would want your brethren to do to you, whether they do it or not, you do it to them so that they're edified. They're brought to peace because they see our actions and they're doing precisely what God wants us to do. I just read John's comment. John's had too much coffee, way too much coffee today. All right, Thomas, let's go to the second question, and I'm going to leave that right there where, where John's drinking coffee. Uh, Thomas, give the definition of faith and how one obtains it, and explain to us how this will increase the strength of the weak and continue strengthening the soul that is strong. Well, uh, Hebrews 11 and verse 1 describes faith, uh, uh, New King James Version, faith is the substance of things, hope for the evidence of things not seen. Basically, faith involves the idea of trusting, trusting God uh, to help things work out. And it also involves the idea of believing God. And, and when I say believing God, I always contrast that between believing God and believing in God. Certainly, mm -hmm. faith involves believing in God, but it's, it's about believing what God says. So we keep that in mind as a, as a definition of what faith is. And of course, where we learn what to believe is in the word of God. We, ha we have to trust that God's going to tell us what we need. Over in a, uh, uh, what is it, 2 Peter 1 uh, and verse 3, uh, God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, or 1 Peter 1. Uh, we have all things that we need. Yeah, we, we have all things that we need uh, through the knowledge uh, of his son. So, so we hear from God's word. And that's where our faith comes from. And, and and one of the points I think Paul's making is whether you're dealing with a Jew or a Gentile in the city of Rome or in Galatia or in Ephesus or in Corinth, you know, all these places, uh, they had all been taught the word of God and they're striving to follow the word of God to the best of their abilities. And that's what he's challenging them to do. You have faith. You've got to have faith is the point he's making there. You, you cannot live without faith. And, and the bottom line is faith is that which will strengthen the weak brother. I mean, it, uh, uh, faith, it's one of those interesting things that it, it's kind of that you've got to sometimes you've got to step out on a limb. But when you step out on a limb, it makes you stronger. And you're a little stronger as you make it through whatever you're dealing with. But you're not done because you're going to now have to step out on another limb. So the faith will make the weak brother stronger, and it will make the strong brother even stronger as he continues to build on it. 
So, th so that, so that's kind of ultimately uh, the point that I see in this. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, John. In First Corinthians ten and verse twelve, seems to be a warning about thinking of ourselves as over the top, if you will. Uh, overthinking our strength is what I was dealing with here. And would you teach us of that warning, please? All righty, let's see. First Corinthians chapter 10, there in verse 12. Yeah. In this case in, this case in point, although uh, contextually it's a little bit different in what he's dealing with, the message is very straightforward. Um, what comes before this was the idea of the children of Israel who fell within the wilderness, um, although the Lord was leading them. He comes up to him and he says, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. I'm sorry, the following text then goes, um, no, that's right. It was all based on the first 10 verses there. So therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Um, there's no temptations overtaking you except such as common to man. And there he talks about the way to escape. If the children of Israel, and, and I'll get back to our text here, here in a second. If the children of Israel who witnessed the parting of the Red Sea and witnessed the, the 10 plagues upon Egypt and God's power, if they were able to grumble and complain and walk away from God, then so are we to, uh, it's possible that we could do the same thing. So the arrogance that comes with, therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall, that same arrogance could then translate into the way that we um, deal with our brother when we begin to, as you, as you were saying there, and I like this point, when we overthink our knowledge and our abilities, we may find ourselves binding something or bearing down on our brother in a way that ends up hurting him and hurting us as well. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. And Thomas, or rather, yes, Thomas brought in a thought as well uh, about Romans 12, 3. Go ahead, Tom. Yeah. Well, well, yeah, you have Romans 12, 3. And the only reason I bring that up, that's where, that's where Paul warned. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, not to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. So that fits along the same line. Uh, but one other thought that comes to my mind here is, and again, this is another one of those can uh, opening another can of worms. And, and Romans 14 has a lot of those. <laughs> uh, but, uh, what, uh, you know, there is a humility associated with acknowledging the fact, you know what, I may be wrong. Yeah. And, 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 and I know that that's, a, that's, that's a walking on eggshells type of an idea because, you know, you can't, you can't go around and say, well, I may be wrong, so that means everybody's right. You know, I mean, th that kind of a situation. But at the same time, there's a humility that's associated with that. And, and when you're dealing with these matters of liberties, uh, uh, you know, uh, eating meats, what can you eat? What can you not drink? What can you, uh, uh, what day to observe? What day not to observe? Those are the examples. There's always the observation, I may be wrong in this. I, I, I think we need to keep that in mind with what we're dealing with right now. You know, this, this circumstance that we're dealing with, I, I think there's a lot of brethren that are doing the best that they can. You know, we're striving to do the right thing. And then there's a lot of brethren out there that no matter what you do, there's somebody out there that is going to condemn you and thinks that you're absolutely wrong for doing it the way that you are. You know, and that's why there's a humility with, you know what, I may be wrong. And just a willingness to acknowledge that. How many problems would be solved among brethren if they would just have that attitude as they approached uh, Absolutely. differences? Absolutely. Brian, go ahead and finish this out, please. Well, I just wanted to say, Tom, what you said was really important. And I think right now we're in the midst of a difficult time that really fantastically uh, applies what you're talking about here. Uh, where a lot of congregations are making a lot of difficult choices right now. And it's very easy for us to, to sit in judgment on others and, and to bring those things about, you know, and, and uh, boy, social media really gives an opportunity for people to say some things that uh, are really, you know, breaking every part of what you're talking about here about a mindset. And, and Tom, you were right on to say it's about humility. Uh, I could be wrong. You know, and and certainly, like I said, that uh, I've I've been wrong enough times that I've learned not to be so bold with 
you know, with a lot of my observations because, because of that, because it's embarrassing to, to be wrong and, and to have declared those things publicly, but it's dangerous. It's hurtful. It's wrong. It's uh, and right now, like I said, we're in a circumstance where a lot of churches are having to make really tough decisions and their decisions, by the way, too, not only, you know, are they oftentimes matters of conscience, but they're also matters of regional or congregational circumstances that I can't even understand. And yet there's a lot of people that are prepared to, to put judgments out there. Tom, I just think what you said was so important and it was so relevant to right now too. Absolutely. I just wanted to, to point that. Yes, sir. I, I say amen to it, Tom. I really do. And actually in closing, verse 23 pulls that, that very thought to us. Paul says at verse 23, he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. For whatsoever is not from faith is sin. We've preached it for years that we need to have book, chapter, and verse for what we say, do, and think. When we go to verses like Colossians 3.17, that whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 5.21, prove all things and hold fast that which is good, which is exactly what we must do when we're talking about the doctrine of Christ. But as Brian and Tom rightly point out, when you enter an area in which decisions that have no, thus saith the Lord behind it, have to be reached, those decisions are, are difficult at best. A week or so ago, John pointed it out, and I'm so grateful for it. Here in Indiana, many of us are going to be able to get back into our places of assembling and begin worshiping again on a limited basis you know, one service on Sunday, one on Wednesday night. But John made a statement a week or two ago that I believe is, is very appropriate right here. When we do get back in these buildings, mm -hmm. maybe, maybe we ought to ask God to forgive us for not being there in spite of all the, the recommendations to stay away. Yeah. If we've been wrong, we need to be forgiven. If we've been right, then it still doesn't hurt to beg God's help, forgiveness, and guidance. And so I appreciate John's statement in that, and I appreciate all the thoughts in today's study. Romans 14 is not the easiest chapter to teach, especially when people want to combine doctrine into this chapter. Doctrine is not in this chapter. Opinion is. And Paul says, basically, you're welcome to yours. I'm welcome to mine. Let's get along because we're both serving God. I appreciate it. John, I turn it back to you. <clears throat> Mike, I appreciate you leading us through this. I've got one question. Let me check our time here real quick. Okay, we're two minutes past time. I want to throw something out real quick. Oh, wait a minute. Mike, you're not done yet. You've left something undone. Brian, what has oh, Mike left undone? Question. The chat question. He did not get our chat question. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Brian. <clears throat> All right. So our chat question, uh, what are the things that make for peace and edification? Uh, we have an answer from Gregor Hinckley in the YouTube chat. And Gregor takes us back to scripture, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 7, where he talks about being partakers of the divine nature. To uh, Well, where, uh, as Gregor points out, this is what it is to be a partaker of the divine nature. To godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. Uh, without love, we are nothing. So what are the things that make for peace and for edification? He, uh, I really appreciate that Gregor took us over to First Peter. I think we could have gone yes. three through seven and, and rightly summed all that up, Gregor. Thanks. Yeah, I appreciate ending that there for Mike. Uh, <laughs> Mike, you did a good job with the lesson today. I really, really appreciate that. Real quick, I want y'all to consider something. We don't have to really get into a discussion on it. But oftentimes we talk about in both Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians chapter 8, that the, the, the basic difference is the weak brother is the less knowledgeable and the strong brother is the more knowledgeable. And, and I'm not saying that that's not the way it is, but I wonder if the weak brother is defined by something else. It's not so much his knowledge, but his ability to say no to violating his conscience. And I really wonder if that's where the issue comes in. Um, yes, yeah. his knowledge, yeah, you know, he, he still thinks that something is wrong, um, but he doesn't have the willpower to say no to it. 
Yeah, I, I think John and I think Tom, uh, oh, Tom, I kind of stepped over you. I apologize. But uh, I was gonna say, I actually think that might fit better only because if somebody is weak in knowledge, the solution to that isn't just accepting that the solution to that is, is teaching. So mm-hmm. I've often thought that maybe it's another case to say that weakness is all and, and by the way, that is weakness. There's uh, yeah. no question that that's a weakness, but that's not an acceptable weakness. The acceptable weakness is somebody to say, hey, I know this is right or I know this is wrong, but I still feel, you know, uh, somebody says to me uh, those things. Go ahead, Tom. No, no. Yeah. No, I, I, and I agree with that. You know, I, I've often thought of the strong and weak in here uh, uh, from a more simplistic standpoint. The weak brother is the one who just simply cannot, with his conscience, do something. The strong one is someone who can do it. Yeah, that's you know, you know, if, if irregardless of the amount of knowledge, the amount of maturity, or or you know, growth, irregardless, if you feel confident that you can do something, you're strong in that matter. If you feel like you can't do it, you're not strong and you're weak in that matter. And so on. So I, I've looked at it from that standpoint. And, and I think that 1 Corinthians 8 says we both must have knowledge. That in yeah. other words, we both have to have the same understanding of whether it's right or wrong. Like uh, somebody might say to me, you know, I know I can celebrate a certain holiday, but, you know, I used to come from a denomination where that holiday was a religious one. And I just don't feel good when I'm doing it. I feel, you know, bad to do it. Well, I think that's exactly a Romans 14 issue. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think the best way to approach this chapter is with two people of equal, uh, of equal ability with an issue. And and that's the point they've got the equal amount of knowledge, they've got the equal amount of study dealing with this subject, whatever it is, you know, observing a particular day, eating a particular food or not eating a particular food. So you got to keep that in mind. And, and, and I just want to emphasize as the closing comment, I mentioned this earlier, this chapter is only going to work if everybody involved has the proper attitude. Period. End of sentence. Amen. All righty. With that being said, we'd like to thank you so much for joining us for our discussion this morning. We will continue our study next Wednesday. And we'll be in Romans chapter 15, and that will be uh, right here at 11 o'clock a.m. Central Time. Noon in Eastern Time. 9 a.m. Pacific Time. 10 a.m. Mountain Time. That's right here at live.truthfactor.com. Have a wonderful week.